Hey everybody, this is Kimia. And I'm Sean. And you're listening to Content and Coffee. Hi everybody, this is Kimia, and I have Alex Berman with me in another special episode. And uh, he's from Experiment 27, which does marketing for uh, your digital agency. And they've, uh, they've grown quite a bit. I've actually been following their entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey for a little while now. And so we're going to dive into a bunch of different topics. Uh, namely how he got to where he is, what he's working on right now. Um, I've been sort of obsessing over team creation, so I'm going to ask some questions about how he built his team and his philosophies around that, some mistakes that he's, uh, that he's gone through and how he could have course corrected, and then uh, any uh, parting wisdom that he has to impart on us. But uh, Alex, how was that introduction? Is that, uh, is that bang on, or do you want to give another one? That was great. <laughs> Fantastic. So I'm curious to know uh, a little bit more about your background, because uh, for people who haven't been following you on your videos, you, uh, you post a lot of content, but for people who don't know, tell us a little bit about how you ended up where you are right now and uh, what you did to get there. Sure. So I, was, uh, I started as a junior sales guy for this agency in New York. I'll, I'll start there, I guess, and became the director of marketing within a little under a year. Um, ended up ending that year as a as a sales guy and then as director of marketing, beating both the founders in sales. Oh, wow. um, and from there, decided to launch Experiment 27, which does marketing for mobile app development agencies, uh, basically basically helping agencies find new clients, whatever that looks like. So email marketing, SEO, a lot of cold emailing content, events, that sort of that sort of thing, and. Uh, and also doing weekly videos, like you're talking about, three, three videos a week on YouTube, free sales training, right. uh, b2bsalestraining.org. Nice. Um, so I have, a, I have a few questions around, A, how you beat both the co-founder, and was it the VP of marketing at the time? Dude, I beat, uh, there was two founders. I beat both founders. Oh. I beat the sales guy that's been there for three years and the director of sales. How did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so this company, um, they had... So uh, inbound lead flow. So they had four sales guys and they were getting 14 leads a month inbound. Okay. They had no outbound process at all. Right. So really all it took to beat them was I, w I went on Quora and answered a few questions where they would direct uh, the leads directly to my inbox. Yeah. I went and I had a meetup where I would go to this meetup uh, once a month and just pitch as hard as possible. So that was, you know, two or three deals a month doing that. And those were the two main ones. I did a little bit of cold emailing, but more, more of that after we started Experiment 27. But th those two were really meetups and just messing around with directories and, and Quora. Oh, wow. And so was that, was that A, to generate you backlinks, and then B, to establish yourself as a thought leader? Or was it more just like, these are people asking questions that are relevant and it was, I can kind of help? So it was legitimate uh, lead generation. So the strategy I was using was I would search keywords around what people would search if they were looking for an app. So right. let's say mobile app developers in New York. And I looked at the top 10 sites. And one of the sites, number one was Quora. So I just went to that Quora post and filled out the answer. And then like number two was Clutch, which is this directory. It's still pretty big. Not as, uh, not as effective as it used to be because it used to be that nobody was on there. But a directory of app development. So I called Clutch and made sure we were on there, optimized us. We actually are... I think we're still, that agency is still number one on Clutch Worldwide. Nice. That's awesome. Um, yeah, but it was basically running through each one of those uh, directories and trying to get on there, which that's, that's been one of my philosophies around marketing for a while. It's a lot better to use somebody else's platform than to build your own. Yeah, fair enough. That's, 
that's a pretty, it's pretty hard to build your own. So it, uh, it makes sense that you can leverage what's, what's existing. Um, so my question to you kind of on a technical note is, do you still use that Quora tactic for yourself? Quora, as far as I'm concerned, Quora is dead. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the height of Quora for us were those three or four months that I was doing it at that agency. Right. Um, our leads jumped from 14 leads a month up to, it was around 40 just from Quora. Oh, wow. And then dropped off again. Uh, most of our sustaining leads came from Clutch, okay. which was that other directory. Right. And then, um, so what was the impetus behind leaving? Was it just like, I've, I've kind of hit my peak and now I can do my own thing. I have enough knowledge to go do that. Or, you know, what was your thought process behind that? No, I got forced out. Oh, what? Why? Corporate politics. I, so I was really close with one of the founders right. and kind of close with the other ones, but the director of sales was not a fan of this young kid coming in and like jumping him. Especially when I stopped listening to his advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, he you, were, you see- got them from 14 to 40 leads. So, you know, stands and then, no, that was, that was in the first month. It, it got way higher than that. At, um, at a point we we're up to about 150 inbound leads. And these are from companies like uh, Alaska airlines, McDonald's, like Boston oh, consulting. Wow. Like these were nice yeah, yeah, big companies uh, yeah. deals. Yeah. And no, he just didn't. Yeah. He just wasn't into it. There was a lot of politics in this company. It was oh, like, it was kind of run like a family business. Sure. Was it a, was it a bigger company? Like how many were on the team? Uh, there were about 40 people. When I left, it was, uh, there were about 80. Okay. So not, yeah, not small, but not, you know, massive. Um, yeah. Good medium sized business. Yeah. So when you were forced out, you know, was your, was your world upended? Were you like, this is, you know, this is going to be fine. I can take it from here. What was, what was going on? Yeah, no, because I had such a good relationship with one of the founders. Um, I forced out sounds a little brutal, sure. But basically, I became a freelancer for them. Right. So they started Experiment Twenty Seven. They were funding us. They were our first client for the first month uh, before we started using cold emails to get more clients. So we worked with them for another year after, uh, kept improving them. Then they tried to do it themselves internally, and we're in talks actually with uh, with them to sign on again. Oh wow, that's awesome! It's good that you can that. You- like, you know, even though you were forced out, it's good that you can sort of maintain that relationship and still get some, you know, some funding from them. So you're not completely stranded. And was it? Just well, I think it goes back to. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I think it goes back to who who you have the relationship with. True. Right. Uh, because this guy, because uh, he's, he's one of my mentors, um, because we had such a good relationship and I got him results. It didn't matter that I didn't get along with, you know, 90 percent of the company. Right. That makes you know, that makes sense. And so. Um, was it just your job in a freelancing role? Like, cause obviously experiment 27 has probably evolved since it was first conceived. Um, you know, what was, what was the, the thought process behind that? Like, I'm just going to get them more business and then see if other people will want this as well. Uh, so no, actually. So I hired uh, Robert, who is my co-founder now, uh, current CEO of experiment 27. I hired him to just do content for us at, I think it was like $40 an article. Oh, wow. And Originally, the insight was if I'm going to run an agency, because I didn't want to be a freelancer, right? If, <laughs> if I'm going to run an agency, I need someone to do the actual work while I focus on what I'm good at, which is marketing and sales. Right. So Robert's a great executor. He's great at doing work. He's great at sales and marketing as well, but he's great at doing work. And so he would, he would make the articles for Dom and Tom. He would do most of the execution, and then I would do a lot of the strategy and, and sales. So no, I hired even before I was a freelancer. Robert worked with me uh, as a as a freelancer uh, while I was still basically while I was still at Dom and Tom in the last couple of weeks. 
so that can be kind of, um, you know, obviously it's worked out really well for you, but I was going to say that can be kind of risky, uh, bringing on a, you know, uh, your freelancer and turning them into a co-founder. Was it, you know, you saw how well he can execute over time and, you know, you built up that relationship to establish that. So for X27, it was, our process was, uh, that agency was our only client for the first month Mm -hmm. and then we got more sales guys originally i'd hired other people to do cold emailing so robert was just doing content then i had an email copywriter that was doing uh email that i found on upwork and he was just doing emails to clients i had another two guys one was a sales coach and one was a cold caller from uh the philippines and i was just uh i was just putting most of this on my credit card while i was while i was running this company i ended up uh, about twenty thousand dollars in debt over the first like five months before we started turning a profit that's crazy so I'm curious to know kind of like when it, when it looked like it was going to become a, a real business versus just you know, freelancing for off of this one, uh, this one customer. When did you get your second customer? It was a, about a week later. Oh, so because not, what not I would, long at all. No, because what I would do is I would come into the office of that client. They let me work in their offices for the first two months, mm-hmm. uh, once in New York and once in Chicago. And I would send cold emails from about six, five or six o'clock in the morning until 8 a.m. Oh, wow pitching startups on, on AngelList. And it right. wasn't other agencies. The thing we were selling was uh, marketing, but I was doing marketing basically for any B2B company. Mm-hmm. And so you were sourcing them off AngelList. Was, were you personalizing each of those messages or were you using more of a mail merge tactic to kind of get in front of them in, in mass? I was using, it was mail merge and it was a similar strategy that we've shown in a few of the YouTube videos where I would customize the... Uh, the first line and customize some of the body, mm-hmm. but the um, it was it was it was that there wasn't even really a system. The system came about uh, when I was director of marketing, or uh, actually CMO at this company called Inspire Beats, which uh, they swept me up about two months into this first iteration of Experiment Twenty Seven. And so Inspire Beats was before you were the you became the VP of marketing. No, um, so I was running with this agency for two months. Yep. Then I got hired by Inspire Beats. Uh, I got hired by Inspire Beats when I was still in Chicago. Oh, I see. And okay. I was working at Inspire Beats while growing X27 on the side. Right. But yeah, right. as soon as I started at Inspire Beats, that agency uh, became our only client. So they were our client for about nine or 10 months while I was uh, CMO at Inspire Beats. And so I'm curious about your pricing as well. Like, what did you, what did you decide to price it off? Was it your, your first customer and you're just like, I'm going to replicate this across everything? Or was it more like, Let's see how much we can charge for this. And then if everyone's willing to pay for X, then we can charge Y. So originally it was based on 10 times ROI. So if we can get you $100,000, you should pay us $10,000 for that. But I'm also a big fan of pricing off of gut feeling. So for instance, when I was first starting uh, outside of this agency, our first client was the sales uh, company. And uh, I charged them $1,000 a month for booking meetings. And that was just looking at yeah what it would cost. I think it would cost me about uh, five or six hundred dollars a month for labor, and yeah, just figuring you know what's a good margin and just kind of doing it like that and seeing what people will pay for. And so uh, it's sorry, it's evolved no, sorry, a little bit. Yeah, it's evolved a little bit um, now that we're more corporate. Like we have Austin, who's on who, on our sales team, who's really into making our pricing. Robert's more corporate in terms of how he prices, um, but. Back then, yeah, it really was just seeing what people will pay for. And so, you know, I'm, I'm curious now, um, how big's the team and where are you guys? Are you guys distributed? Are you, you have a central location? Um, what's your setup right now? Experiment 27 is about 18 people, uh, which isn't bad. Congratulations um, on your growth. That's very impressive. 
<laughs> Headcount is not something to be congratulated. <laughs> yeah, it's better than one, though. That means you have something. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're about 18 people spread out, uh, right. mostly in the U.S., um, but some around the world. Like Robert's uh, nomad. He's in half, half time in U.K., half time in Romania. And nice. then uh, we have one other Romanian guy, one guy from South America, and then the rest are from the United States. So I'm I'm curious to know kind of what contributed to your success in uh, not in hiring a lot of people, but in terms of in terms of revenue, because you could be very successful and have two people. But uh, was it just like digital agencies don't know how to market themselves? You guys can solve this problem. Okay, so it's two things, or maybe a few things. It's one: digital agencies know how to market themselves, especially if they're marketing companies. They just don't. They don't have the resources. It's very hard as an agency to focus on your own marketing. Mm -hmm. So even if you develop websites, a lot of agencies that develop websites will have terrible websites. And it's not because they, they obviously know how to build a good website. It's just, it's very hard to get those resources. Right. So we're there doing the, we're, we're focusing on their marketing so they don't have to. And then the other one is, uh, yeah, a lot of them, they, it's, it's agency marketing is very tough. Um, because it performs very different from what most of the uh, marketing information teaches you. So, for instance, you look at HubSpot or you look at Saster. Uh, Jason Lumpkin's a, a really good teacher, but all of his stuff is around software as a service sales, which kind of works for agencies, kind of doesn't. And then if you look at, yeah, like any of those other ones, uh, like Ty Lopez or any of these other marketing guys are talking about Facebook ads, that really works for consulting. It works for some services. But yeah, when you go and you try to build a funnel for agencies, there's really no, now there's more good information, but really there was no good information about how to grow an agency. And so, uh, you know, your, your competitive edge is obviously the amount of content you put out. Like you guys are very much a thought leader in the space, or you are very much a thought leader in the space. Um, what else separates you guys in terms of a competitive edge? Yeah, I'd say it's our, so our company's called Experiment 27 and Originally, I kept saying it was just a BS name. Um, I really, <laughs> I really, I really like uh, experimental aircraft and like Howard Hughes and that sort of stuff. So that's Fair where nice. the name actually came from. Right. But what it relates to is marketing experiments. Uh, I think one one thing that's too easy to fall into, and we fell into this trap for about six months, is when one thing's working. For us, it was cold emails for our clients. It's very tempting to double and triple down on that. And just say, hey, can we optimize our cold emails? How do we get more meetings from these cold emails? How do we send more to more people? When the real thing, when something's working, is to the real question to ask yourself is, all right, what's the next thing we can spin up? What's the next experiment we can try to grow our clients' businesses? And for us, you know, that became LinkedIn. That became, uh, you know, that became video, using blog posts, doing events, and all of these other channels. And that's, that's the main thing that we do different. It's the willingness to experiment, the willingness to not just sell a single service like, hey, we're going to do four blog posts a month. And then, yeah, we're delivering four blog posts a month. It doesn't matter if you're getting ROI or not, you know, if we're delivering, not taking that mindset, instead taking the mindset of what's the revenue number you want to hit. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to do whatever it takes to hit that number. Oh, that's great. I think that's, uh, it, it's rarer to see now. Uh, a company that charges based, well, maybe not charges, but a company that operates based on what's the revenue that you need to get to. Here are all of the different things we're going to try to get you that number. And, you know, we're, we're going to do our absolute best to get you there. Because there are a lot of agencies that will just sit back and run your pay-per-click marketing. And that might not be the best channel, but they, that's what they do. So that's what they're going to offer you. Yeah. 
it's holistic and it, it might not be the same for every agency. So we have some agencies where we'll send out a cold email and they'll crush it. Like we have one uh, based out in LA where they're meeting with like, they want to get into the TV industry. So they're meeting with Paramount Pictures. They met with Netflix, TV Land, oh, wow. CBS, all these big companies from right. cold email. We tried a similar strategy with a company in Boston uh, going after the medical tech field and the cold emails just didn't resonate the same way. So their, their win is in live events. Uh, going to events where these where these uh, medical professionals hang out, mm-hmm. and so was that was that your guys' insight to say like, okay, cold email isn't working. What do people respond to? And obviously, in the medical field, it's face to face interaction. And then, are you then booking them all these events that they can go to? Yeah, so we handle all that stuff. Um, the the key insight. So we start each engagement off with a review of what they've done in the past. That's another place where X27 is really differentiated. We understand that our agencies have done marketing. Like they, they know they're business owners. They're real people. They've done it in the past. And we actually go and find out what they've done and what's try, what they've tried, what's succeeded, what's failed, and build a – it's about a 150-slide plan that we build at the beginning of the engagement to figure out what to do. Um, but, yeah, from there, from there, it's really, uh, yeah, looking at – what they've tried, what hasn't worked, and building a strategy that we think would work. But for that specific agency in Boston, mm-hmm. it was, yeah, we tried it for a month, barely any results. Right. But events got some results. Uh, we were trying four different, four different channels at once for them. And, and yeah, cold email just didn't win. Because I was going to say, you're obviously not just trying one thing, and then they're paying you, call it $10,000 a month, to try one thing. And then they're like, well, you know, it didn't work. You know, what, can we, what can we do? You're, you're hedging your bets, so to speak. Yeah, we typically, for, for that kind of client, we'll typically do four channels a month. Smart. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to, are you ever going to get into, into SaaS marketing? Because I feel like what you have right now is basically, like, could basically replace a CMO. So that was what we were doing at InspireBeats. InspireBeats okay. was a cold emailing company that went, basically went bankrupt, uh, kind of fell apart. And the main issue with them uh, besides, you know, there's a lot of like issues in terms of the management structure and all that stuff, which I've covered on other podcasts and maybe in YouTube videos. But the main issue with the business model was with SaaS, every company is extremely different. So, for instance, so for uh, for agencies, let's say you do iOS development, mm-hmm. right? Your marketing might be slightly different if you go after medical versus you know film, but you're still selling iOS. Uh, we worked with this company. They're an HR platform uh, where people could go in and, and do training, training videos. And there's so many more variables, right? The website has to really get the value across and sell this new platform. We have to make sure that the um, all the marketing is buttoned up. We have to make sure the business concept is actually viable. All before we get to run our normal marketing process that works with agencies. So. So I was gonna, I was going to ask then. Have you ever got to a pitch and then seen someone's business and be like, uh, "We can't market this. Your business isn't viable." Yeah, hundred percent. It happened a lot more in SaaS. Oh wow! But we have um, we've got one client right now where their business was in that situation, and what we realized is we were going to have to spend the first five or six months just building up case studies right. for this guy before we could even close a deal. Um, this guy wanted to be successful though. So he's, he's investing with us. Like he's a, a client of ours and we're, we're helping to, to generate, you know, leads and, and book meetings. Robert's actually running the sales team as well. So doing all the sales for him, but yeah, like we've had clients that 
Like if he couldn't afford that, right? If he couldn't afford mm-hmm. six or seven months of no sales, right. for sure, we wouldn't have worked with him. Right. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So, I, you know, I'm curious to know what's, what's working for you guys. What, like, was it just, um, you know, the cold email and then using the tactics that you use for your customers? Or was it more like a specific strategy that really grew you guys up to a point? For the first eight months, it was half cold email mm-hmm. and then half YouTube videos. Like we did this amazing teardown of uh, Fueled, which got us Fueled them. being uh, it's another agency in New York. Oh, and I see. They got uh, we did a teardown, basically how they compare to VaynerMedia and how they could better find enterprise clients. And we would do a couple videos like that that got us clients. Right. Um, and that was yeah. The first eight months were basically video content and cold email. Uh, after the first year, what we're running into. So what we're running into this month in 2018 right now is cold email is kind of dying off for Experiment 27. And the reason why that is, is the agency market is about maybe 5,000 decision makers total uh, at the type of companies we want to work with, agencies that are over 2 million in revenue. So uh, to over 2 million, under 100 million in revenue. Right. So what, what we need to do now is find other channels. So that's why I've been experimenting on Instagram. We're experimenting on LinkedIn. We're changing the way our cold email tactics uh, are structured. We're reworking our case studies. And it's basically changing positioning. Because what I found um, what I found with our tactics, especially with cold email, is if you're cold emailing for eight or nine months to the same group of people, eventually everyone you can email is going to get emailed. Right. And so it's up to you as a company to shift. Uh, for instance, a lot of our emails that we were sending for the first nine months talked a lot about money. It was, uh, hey, we've generated $10 million in leads for this agency, and we could do the same for you. Now, what we're doing with our new email strategy is we've, we realized that's one persona, right? The one, the guy, the co-founder that's really into money. Right. And there's another persona, especially in design and development agencies, where it's the artist. Mm-hmm. And the artist isn't really about money. I mean, he thinks about it, but he hates thinking about money. Right. He would rather think about art. So we're reframing our cold emails now for this specific uh, type of buyer to talk more about the marketing experiments and how the way we approach marketing is uh, is artistic. And it's it's kind of like combining art and science together. So selling softer to, to appeal to this type of persona. And has that worked for you or have you not implemented that yet? That's what we've been running for the last two months. And yeah, it's, it's working. Our, um, you know, our revenue is growing. That's awesome. That's super yeah. cool. Um, the other thing... The Sorry, other thing that's been oh, the other thing that's been helping is getting a lot more enterprise. Right. Uh, so we're redesigning our website right now uh, as part of this bigger initiative. But we redid all of our pricing. We're rebuttoning up all of our case studies and everything to try to appear as as large as possible. Mm-hmm. And Where so before you're my be uh, attracting enterprise clients based on that. Yeah, exactly. Which right. is interesting because my my mindset used to be the exact opposite. Like I would rather be that guy in his basement or whatever. Like I would rather be seen as that guy in his basement that holds the key that you need to work with totally, and, uh, and act like that. But what, what these guys want to see, so that, that worked for one portion of the market, but what another portion of the market wants to see is the buttoned up like enterprise style sales team. I realize that's not me. That's why Robert's the CEO now. That's why our face of sales is, is, uh, you know, Austin and Patrick and, and Bob who are way more enterprise. So, because my follow-up question to all that was going to be, do you worry that agencies is a finite market? But obviously, you're getting into enterprise, so you have you have no worry about that because that's your that's your just next next evolution. Well, they're enterprise agencies. Oh, oh, I see. 
I see. So instead of instead of going out like enterprise like Fortune five hundred, Fortune. Oh no, no, no. Yeah. So we we help our agency clients book with those guys. So we know that we know that those strategies work for booking meetings. Right. But no, it's uh yeah enterprise agencies. So people over let's say yeah like ten million Mm dollars to a hundred million dollars in revenue. So my question still stands then because there can't be that many. Uh, granted, I should have done my research before this question, but I, I can't imagine that there's that many agencies over $2 million in revenue in the United States. So there's not, but I mean, if, you, <laughs> if each agency is paying you 50 grand a month. <laughs> like, I mean, I, yeah, fair enough. I, I see your point. Yeah. But you can't, you, like, there's no way you can work with every agency. So, you know, I guess a follow-up question to that is, are you going to productize any of your services? Yeah. So what right now, what we've been doing, especially as we become more, as we start focusing on the bigger agencies, and by the way, 50 grand a month is like maybe our highest, highest tier. I don't even know what we do for that. Our sure. typical, our typical packages go anywhere from 6,000 to 12,000 a month. Got it. But the, um, yeah, we've, we've thought a lot about courses, uh, based on our YouTube content. And what I realized is, uh, I don't think I don't think it's in me to make a course. You know, if if we do make a course, it's going to be somebody on our team tactically training people what to do. Right. I'd rather create free content, mm-hmm. and then for the lower tier people, it's going to be paid consulting, like maybe buying hours of of our uh, of our team's time. Right. Well, why Why isn't it in you to create a course? You don't want to put the effort in, it, like not in terms of a laziness perspective, but in terms of a you have a great system that's working now. So. I've bought a lot of courses, all right? I've bought a lot of courses online and I've only got, I've only gotten value. I've only had value from one course, which was Find Your Dream Job by Ramit Sethi. Mm-hmm. And he writes great copy. He, has he awesome writes great copy, copy. Awesome copy team. It's not just copy. It's uh, the research that goes into the courses, right. the amount of uh, testing that goes into the courses. And the problem with what I want to do is in order to get a course up to the standard that I see that it would need to be to uh, make me feel comfortable to charge money for it. It would require me hiring an entire team to do it. Got and it. it's just not, I would much rather release a free course. And then if nobody gets value from it, I don't feel bad. <laughs> right. Fair. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Cause I was, well, I was going to ask like the, uh, cl- you know, close IO um, elastic sales guys, they built close IO out of elastic sales, which it, there seems to be some parallels in there that you might've been thinking about prior to what you're doing now. Yeah, I talked to Steli about that uh, when we were at Growth Marketing Conference, and I was trying to like uh, you know pick his brain on on that. And what I really what I realized it was that plus the um, talking to Ryan Culp over at FOMO mm-hmm. that made me realize that I don't really want to start another company. Like uh, <laughs> starting a SaaS from zero is is tough. Like oh, I would yeah. much I would I much rather <laughs> yeah I would much rather buy one. Right, I would much rather enough. buy a company that that was already performing and then grow it. Right. Um, which is exactly what I did. Uh, just I just bought a Shopify app company, and so um, and so like obviously, you know, in getting into the into the Shopify apps, you get to practice everything that you've learned. Um, how has that been going for you so far, and how long have you have you had the company for? So I bought it in November, so it's been a few months, and it's growing. Uh, every two weeks, I get a report from Shopify, and the the revenue is growing. Um, I didn't spend too much on it. Like it was twenty five hundred bucks for this company. That's awesome. That's, a, that's such a killer deal for something that can bring you so much potential later on. Yeah, I agree. Especially because it's generating, it's generating enough money to hire somebody to run it, which I find incredible right? that that, that kind of investment exists. Yeah. But it also says a lot about 
jumping on opportunities because I was just when I when I bought that Shopify company, I was just on Facebook Messenger talking to this dude because he had posted on Twitter a while ago. And he was like, yeah, man, I'm talking to a few other investors, but like none of them want to pull the trigger. And I was like, how much is it? He's like 2,500 bucks. I was like, I'll wire it to you now. Send a contract later. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty risky. It's risky, but it's like I would get the money back if it was shitty. I know the guy. Yeah, fair. Okay. Well, fair enough. Because I was going to say, how close is your relationship uh, to that that connection? Yeah. Or if, you know, if I didn't get it back, then, hey, I'd be on this podcast talking about, hey, I lost 2,500 bucks. Guess guess you shouldn't do that. Right. Here's here's what I learned. Don't (laughs) wire money to people over the internet. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what I did learn is the exact opposite. Right. Always wire money to people (laughs) on the internet. <laughs> yeah, words, that'll be the title of this uh, this podcast. It'll <laughs> uh, be great. <laughs> it's funny how every rule, uh, or almost every rule, the exact opposite's true. It, yeah, it's 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 crazy to think that. Like you know, in in building up Ghosted, like we think one thing is going to be a certain way, and then we actually dive into it, and it's not that way at all. Like you know, we initially catered to small to medium sized businesses, and then uh, we had like two really big companies, like hundred million plus, come to us. And they're like, yeah, we like everything you do. We just need way more of it. And we're like, uh, are you sure? Like, why are you talking to us? They're like, no, you guys look like you know what you're doing. Keep, keep doing the stuff. And so we got like our two biggest customers ever um, just because like we, we broke some rules and we went a little bit against the grain, which is, which is awesome for us. Um, yeah. And if you look at the standard advice, like you were talking about Lemkin and that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. um, or we were talking about Lemkin together, maybe I was ranting at you about this. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look at that sort of advice, yeah, it always says, uh, you know, don't build out specific features just to appease customers because they're never going to actually work with you. Like it says a lot of stuff around that. Right. And it sounds like, yeah, you broke that rule and it paid off. Totally. No, it's and, and you know, like um, I think I was just going through zero to one. And in the very beginning, he's talking about how the next biggest thing is not going to be a social network or an operating system or or something like that. It's going to be something completely different. And by building that something completely different, you're going to have to break some rules. Yeah. Um, so, uh, sorry, I wanted to dive into your team creation a little bit because that's sort of what I've been obsessing over. Um, how have you built up your team and what are your philosophies around hiring and firing? Like, what do you look for specifically? <laughs> so I go by, uh, oh man, if, you li- if anyone's listening that's heard any of my past podcasts, this might come as a shock to you, but I, I, I follow this uh, philosophy called hire fast, fire fast. <laughs> I used to for a very long time, which was I would have like one call with somebody. And then if they sounded good, I would hire them. We do a one month trial, uh, one month paid trial. And then if it worked out, they would work for us. What I found through that uh, is you have to be able to fire them. And most of the time that firing happens within the first month. If uh, for some reason you you bitch out or you don't have the, uh, the balls to fire somebody, uh, it always turns into a problem. We've had, we've had to fire, I think, about 12 people. And at a 16-person company, that's, that might seem like a lot of churn, but that is, uh, that's been one of the main factors in our, in our team. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of saying yes off the bat to basically anyone that wants to work with us. I'll be like, yeah, sure. You know, here, here's a, a little bit of money. You, know, you say you're going to do this stuff, do it. You know, here's, oh, yeah, your goals are super high. Sure, I'm a little hesitant about it, but I'll let you work with us. Right. Why not? And if it works out, it's great. And if it doesn't work out, the one thing I've learned is that you can't hesitate. Uh, when you have a gut feeling that someone needs to go, they have to go right now. Mm-hmm. And then, so can you give me an example or give the listeners an example of a time when you, you didn't fire them right away 
and it caused some detriment to the company. Yeah. So we had these, uh, I gotta be really careful about what I say right now. <laughs> sure. Take, <laughs> take your time. No rush. Uh, so we had these director of, uh, sales come in. It was two, two people. Uh, actually it was one guy, one guy, director of sales. And, uh, he wanted us to hire his roommate as well. And I thought that was kind of strange, but I brought him on and they set this goal. It was like 10 closes a month. And I, th I thought, Hey, that's, you know, that seems like a fair goal. I talked to Robert co-founder. Right. He said that seemed like a fair goal as well. And in the first month of working with us, they both closed, uh, two, uh, between them. Oh, so wow. one close each instead of 10 closes. Right. And because there were sales guys, we let them talk us into the fact that it was a plan. We let them talk us into lowering the target. And it was just a disaster. Like that was, they worked for us for six months. That's a long it, time. Wow. Yeah. And they ended up, uh, they were lying to clients. Like we got in trouble with a lot of our clients uh, based on what they said. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of hard conversations had to be had. Mm -hmm. And if we had just fired them in the first month, you know, it, it would have been fine. Right. Uh, most of this happens on the sales side. We had another sales guy that worked with us uh, that ended up working with us for a month and a half where before we hired him, uh, there was a month dead period where basically he just, uh, he accepted the job, didn't talk to us for a full month, but didn't sign the contract or anything. Then a month later, like popped up and said he got in a car accident. It seems and like a hard time to not. Very long. Yeah. And, and Robert told me not to do it. You know, this right. is why he's the CEO. I'm not the CEO. <laughs> this, these kind of conversations. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I hired the guy and yeah, we went for about two months and then he, uh, he started getting all these weird excuses like his grandma was sick and stuff like that, like where he'd just be gone from our company for weeks at a time. Right. And then, yeah, we just we, we had to fire him then. But he forced our hand. Like if he hadn't done that, we, he probably still would be working here. Oh, wow. So like, he, was, well, he was talented, but just excuses kept, kept coming up, like competent in terms of skills? Yeah, really competent in terms of skills. High meeting book rate. Mm -hmm. I took him out to, uh, to an event and he, he booked, it was 10 meetings in one day, oh, wow. which I'm always, always a big fan of that, especially of when course. they're with qualified people. Right. Like he's a great guy. I really like that's, that's the type of team member where you really wish you didn't have to fire them. For sure. Yeah. And so I'm curious, you know, talk a little bit about your, your co-founder now CEO, cause we'll, we'll dive into kind of what you're, what you're doing now and why you've decided not to be the CEO and you've elected to be chairman instead. Um, how did you how did you know that because you mentioned earlier he was doing freelance work for you how did you know that you guys were going to be co-founders what was the decision making behind that and then talk about your kind of relationship up to this point sure yeah so when i was at inspire beats um i was doing full-time at this SaaS startup we were growing uh, we were valued at about 100 million um we had acquisition offers and stuff right before it fell apart so that was what was taking up most of my time you know because i had a significant stake in that company right so unfortunately uh, it didn't go through I mean, you know, it's a, one of the, one of the worst moments of my life. You know? <laughs> no, but I, I yeah, serious, uh, serious, but not serious. <laughs> yeah. So I had, uh, Robert running all of X 27. So he was just kind of my default during that, you know, eight month year long period at inspire beats. He grew from just doing content to managing the team. And he just took the initiative to make it happen. Like I didn't, I didn't force him to do anything. Right. Like he, he was always one of these guys that would come to me with ideas. Right. right. He, he's one of these guys that wants to, that wants to grow. He wants to be money is his driver. He wants to be a millionaire. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, when you, when you see that in somebody, that's the kind of thing that, you know, makes you trust them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so, um, are there anything like obviously hiring? Cause I, I think the term is hire slow, fire fast. 
not hire fast, fire fast. I, that's the normal term. Hire <laughs> yeah, fast, fire yeah. fast. I, I, you know, <laughs> this is this is one of the problems with giving advice. You know, especially as a growing business owner right. who's not afraid to be wrong. Right. I'm going to give some shitty advice from time to time. Well, fair enough. Well, hey, like it's you guys are obviously doing okay so far. So you know, you you learn from your mistakes and and you evolve. I was going to ask as a follow up to that: Are there any? Is there any advice that? Uh, that you've done in terms of hiring that's a little bit against the grain, not just hire fast, like your interview process or anything around that? Yeah, so we'll, we still do the hire fast when it comes to, the, um, to that initial test. Uh, so basically our hiring process has three steps. The first step is we'll give somebody a small unpaid task mm-hmm. uh, that revolves around their job. So normally we'll find people on AngelList uh, AngelList has kind of like a Tinder-like matching system, which is pretty cool. Uh, you can just Google Alex Berman AngelList. There's a tutorial I made on that. Um, but once we talk to them, you know, I'll ask them some questions. I don't really write questions down or follow any sort of structured interview process. Robert's a little better at that. Um, but we'll give them a task that shouldn't take more than like two hours, but involves their main job. So if they're sales, it's maybe writing cold emails. If they're in marketing, it might be looking at a potential client site and coming up with like a quick write-up on things they could improve. Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, if they succeed there, then we'll, you know, if they succeed there and we like them, uh, we'll hire them, we'll make them an offer. And that offer is for the first month where they're doing their entire job but it's usually at a reduced salary. So like 60% of whatever the salary is going to be. Right. Uh, I, our sweet spot for salaries right now is about two to 3000 a month for that test. Okay. And then we'll, we'll bump it up a little bit after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if they pass the test, then normally their salary gets, gets bumped up. Or if uh, we decide not to bump them up because of their skill level or whatever, we put a plan in place for when they can get up to market rate and then we'll make the offer. We'll hire them. Uh, all of our people are um, contractors as well. Right, right. That makes sense. And so I was going to ask as well, like, you know, just because they're contractors, it doesn't mean that, you know, morale would be any lower. What do you guys do because you're remote to keep that momentum and drive high? So we do a monthly town hall. Uh, Robert now, I used to, uh, but Robert does this now, meetings with everybody on the team, which is still fine until we get to about 25, 30 people. It's it's still possible to meet with everybody on the team. And then also individual meetings with the team leads. Uh, to make sure that, and these meetings are uh, standard one-on-one. If you've ever listened to the Career Tools podcast, I would, I would recommend that one on one-on-ones. But it's 10 minutes where the employee can talk about, or, or the contractor can talk about whatever they want. 10 minutes where you can talk about whatever you want with, to them or with them. And then the final 10 minutes is about their future. So where do they want to go in their career? How are their uh, activities outside of work progressing? That sort of stuff. Like we have... Um, We've got three guys right now. One of them I'm mentoring personally to help grow a side business. The other one's an entrepreneur growing a side business within X27. And, uh, and the third one is just following our video content to grow. And I try to talk to them like once every couple months. That's so, awesome. That's cool that they have the opportunity to do that within X27. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think people... Um, what, what, what I think most of corporate America is missing is the fact that everyone wants to be free. Like we're living in a society right now where it's possible to work off your laptop. Right. And for the type of person that doesn't want to be in an office or even for the type of person where it hurts them to be in an office, that's, uh, it's, it should be a crime to make, them do, to make them work in an office. Especially when efficiency can be just as high in a coffee shop or in Belize or wherever it may be. Yeah, exactly. And part of being a remote company uh, is 
part of being a remote company is self-selecting for those kind of people, mm-hmm. right? The kind of guy that wants to hang out with his kids or the kind of guy that wants to uh, have the freedom to go out and party and not, and not come into work till 11 a.m. Like they're going to they're gonna be attracted to our company. And a lot of the times those guys are just as good as everyone else. Right. No, that's, that's it's, it's very, um, it's very cognizant of you to kind of build your team around that because, you know, those people will probably stick around with you for a lot longer because they have those freedoms. Yeah, it was also kind of selfish because I'm a big fan of like <laughs> sleeping in the middle of the day, you know, and I can't do that in an office. You just, you just take naps. I, I love naps, dude. Big fan of naps. Um, awesome. We used to have at the first startup I was at Vimbly, uh, there, it was at the WeWork in New York and they had a, uh, a bed in the office, like basically like there was a meditation room. Right. And I would spend hours sleeping in there and I got in so much trouble every single time. <laughs> your, your, we, your WeWork, like office space was your rent you just didn't actually have an apartment <laughs> <laughs> well no i'd sleep during the day and no, I'd sleep of, of course <laughs> that's, but, all, uh, that's awesome. the way i don't know how most people do do that without falling asleep you know because it's basically like i would i would wake up at 6 a.m go into the office and then after work i would go to events until like yeah like one in the morning right like that the, doesn't seem like enough uh, hours no it doesn't seem didn't. like enough hours to, to survive without sleep definitely not no it's, it's it's interesting you say that because you know i i don't say i want don't want to say i'm the opposite but i love going to somewhere to work so like you know ghost has an office downtown um and i love it because i get i can get up and i go somewhere that i know i'm going to be productive for say nine ten hours and then i'll go i'll go wherever i need to go um but i totally get like it's you know i do have the freedom like right now i'm at my house recording this podcast like i have the freedom to do that which i think is kind of the underlying pin of that. Yeah, exactly. Different people have different work styles. Um, sometimes, yeah, when I'm feeling burned out, because uh, I have an office in my bedroom and then I have an office in the living room. So it's just like two different locations. Right. And then and, I'll go to coffee shops and do all that and stuff. And you're too. doing the you're doing the kind of digital nomad lifestyle, correct? Or are you do you have a home base? Uh no, I'm doing full digital nomad right now. Nice. That's awesome. Um, I've, been, I've been a nomad for I think almost three years. How do you like it? Love it. This, I, I, I'm going to have a very hard time settling down. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, just keep keep doing it, I guess. So my my follow up questions now are, um, you know, why uh, why aren't you the CEO? Why did you elect to be chairman? So part of it was uh, I was super stressed out because one of our projects was going south, and this client just kept calling me, and I didn't want to talk to him anymore. But I also didn't want to. Uh, you know, not deliver them value. And I realized, you know, if I feel that way, you know, should I even be CEO? You know, someone's probably going to be better than me at this. Mm-hmm. And I also was super drained. Like, uh, it's very stressful to talk to clients all the time. <laughs> so, like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, no, I don't, so like, I'm not arguing with that. So, like, if you can get the same <laughs> results having someone else do the work. Right. And that someone likes the job better than you. It just doesn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense for me to be the CEO. Right. Fair enough. And so where, uh, you know, as, as chairman, what does that kind of look like? Uh, so I do one call a week with Robert. Um, I try not to talk too much about X27. I really like letting him do the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, I do weekly YouTube videos. Uh, right. That's that's all I'm doing on X27 right now. And so your and so your X27 videos, like that's or the the YouTube videos, that's obviously like a great lead gen source for you guys, right? Yeah, it's really good for X27, um, and I, ideally it'll be good for for some of our other projects coming up. Uh, Robert's partners with me, or he's 
knock on wood, he should be partners with me on the Shopify app soon. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so I, I think me and him are, are a very good team mm-hmm. in terms of execution and growing businesses. Right. So it's, it's always good to find those kind of people you can continue to grow with. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, the videos are a, good, a really good lead gen source. No, I was, I was going to say, you know, a quick note about the, the team member. I, my co-founder, and like, I feel the same way about my co-founder. Like, it's, it's awesome that we can cover the same ground but have complementary skill sets. And it's, it is, I, would, I would say it's kind of a rarity to find that. And it's, it's super important as you grow your business. Um, so, you know, like, I've been, I've been following you kind of on Instagram, and you're doing a lot of stand-up now. Like, what are your, where do your passions lie? Like, what's, what's the deal with you doing stand-up? Yeah, so um, I started a production company. And we do animation and uh, TV shows for uh, like Netflix and that sort of stuff. That's that's our 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 goal is to sell TV shows. Uh, we Netflix, did this. Are you on Netflix now? Not on Netflix now. We've been right. featured on Funny or Die, um, and that's that's as far as we've gotten so far in the last nice. like three months. You'll get um, you'll get there. I have no. Doubt. Yeah, I know. We did a we did a pilot though. It was pretty good. Uh, Pauly Shore was the uh, the star of that, Theo Vaughn was in it, Maz Gibrani, uh, Joey Diaz, like a lot of the comics over here at the Comedy Store. Oh, nice. So it was, uh, it was cool to do that. And then now, yeah, we're working on like four or five other projects. And so did you start that animation studio or did you take it over? So that one, I'm um, working on it with my little brother. Okay, cool. And what was, like, you just decided to get into animation because? Just say yes to things and test it out? It's not just animation. It's like, yeah, content creation. Sure, um, yeah, I should say production. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just like, you know, fuck it. What else am I going to do? <laughs> Sweet. I love it. That's awesome. So um, I have a few more questions. Um, I'm curious to know some, like, two to three mistakes you see. And I can make the selfish and ask early stage startups, but two to three mistakes you see kind of in general. And then, uh, you know, if you've made those mistakes, how have you course corrected? Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the big mistakes is copying other businesses too closely. Like, like drift and intercom kind of thing. Drift and intercom. What is that? Uh, Those are just like pop-up chat windows. Oh um, yeah. Kind of like that. It's basically using another business as your, uh, as your guidebook to, uh, to start a business. And that's a big mistake that I've made in the past with companies. Like following the rules was like a, my, my original personal blog. And I was basing that a lot on Ramit Sethi, like basically stealing his strategy right. uh, for the most part. But experiment 27, the big difference and the, the win and what I recommend most people do is to talk to agency owners or to uh, build a business around the type of stuff you've created in the past that people wanted to buy or that got value from. So instead of looking at other SaaS companies for, uh, for features and, and that kind of stuff, looking at your customers and the, and the type of stuff they want out of a company and then building those. Even if they end up being the same sort of features, at least you're approaching it from an original point of view. That's actually really interesting. I've never heard that brought up, but I see it so often. That's it's very true. Um, and then you know, a mistake you've made that you've course corrected on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, no, so that was kind of the mistake, the original positioning of Experiment 27. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big mistake that we made was not focusing on a niche. Like you were, um, when I was talking about agencies, one of the first things you said was, that market must not be very big. <laughs> and uh, that is something that a lot of people think when they, when they see a company like Experiment 27. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're, we're living, man. We're living off of it. 
And I, I was, I made that mistake early on thinking that I could do any sort of B2B marketing. Right. Um, and even before that, doing any sort of marketing, like I sold artisan chocolates for a while. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like it. Yeah. I sort of, I sold chocolates. I sold TV, sh- uh, TV, sh- or, I sold t-shirts on an e-commerce site. Right. And it's, uh, but it wasn't until I niched down, like as soon as we decided to sell to only agencies and I would send cold emails and Robert would do the reviews and we would sell these reviews for five grand, whatever, as soon as we decided that process mm-hmm. within that first month, me and him pocketed $30,000. That's awesome. And that That's was amazing. more cash than I'd seen at once, uh, you know, and, and up, up until that point. Right. And this was the, this was your cold email strategy and then doing the review yeah, cold right. email strategy yeah. and then yeah. doing the review. And right. all, of, all of that is, is in YouTube. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you go to the YouTube channel and you search how to, how to send cold emails or how we send cold emails to book clients, that was literally me at the height of starting our company sending the emails. That's and that, awesome. that, video, uh, that video actually got us two clients. So like, you can watch me make $10,000 right there. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. So my last, my last question, and I ask this of all the guests, and this is a bit of a selfish ask, is, what are uh, one to two book recommendations that you have? Sure. Um, you ever read the Arnold Schwarzenegger book? Uh, his, bi- his biography? Yeah. I have, yes. It's okay, awesome. so I'm not going to recommend awesome. that one. <laughs> uh, Self-Made Billionaire Effect, I just read last week. Okay, and check that it, it out. Talks, it talks a lot about what billionaires have done, especially self-made billionaires, what they've done differently to, uh, to build their companies. And one of the big things is... Uh, what you were talking about in terms of finding a co-founder that has skills that if you're a doer, they're a strategy guy, or if you're a strategy guy, they're an executor. And it's finding a co-founder that fits and works really well with you symbiotically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one, um, about halfway through this one right now, Principles by Ray Dalio. I've heard that's very good. I haven't dove into that yet, but I've heard nothing but good things. So it's incredible. It's like this guy um, who's you know, super successful guy by all counts going back, thinking about the principles that have caused him to be successful and the way that he approaches life. Like I'm not a hundred percent into his strategy mm-hmm. because he goes by, I'll get a gut feeling on something and then I'll use data to prove the gut feeling. Whereas I would rather just work only on gut, right? It seems a lot more efficient to just do gut feeling only. Right. But the principles, if you love quotes and you love to live your life by <laughs> quotes, uh, every single chapter has like, so Dozens of quotes. quotable yeah. lines. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And so um, final follow-up, do you do audiobooks or do you read like physical books more? Or a mix of both? Audiobooks almost 100%. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, mo- most of my info is audiobooks and podcasts. Fair enough. No, I like it. Um, fantastic. Well, hey, Alex, like, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It's been, it's been cool to follow your journey because uh, I think you guys have 11,000 subscribers now. And I think I started watching you guys, oh man, like 500 subscribers in. Uh, it's been awesome. It's unreal, right? Yeah, it's crazy. It's awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, where can, uh, where can people check you out? So for these videos we're talking about, free B2B uh, training, you know, free sales training videos, that's b2bsalestraining.org. And if you need marketing support for your digital agency, you run an agency, you want to talk about marketing with us, that is experiment27.com. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Kimia. Yeah.